0: I'm Dr. Shiloh.
1: And I'm Dr. Scott.
0: And this is LA Not So Confidential, the Forensic Psychology and True Crime Podcast.
1: Each week, we explore the intersection of psychology, the criminal justice system, and entertainment.
0: This week's episode is an audio replay of our live stream with the amazing Dr. John Delatory and his take on the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation hearings.
1: Welcome back everyone. As we teased in the opening, we're really excited to share with you a replay of one of our most popular live stream episodes of our YouTube series entitled Behind the Couch. The episode aired in July of 2022 and in that interview we spoke with the always impressive forensic psychologist Dr. John Delatory.
0: Yes, he's one of our absolutely favorite guests to have on the show. And in July 2022, that was the height of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation hearings. And there was a lot of discussion and controversy about how the narrative intersected the legal system, the entertainment business, and discussions about domestic violence. The show is timely at this moment, just as the documentary about those trials is released. I'm sure many of you are watching. And if you are an avid follower of the hearings or just want to be refreshed before the documentary comes out, this is a great refresher into some of the underlying psychological issues that play a great role in this fascinating take on Hollywood and defamation.
1: We have a hefty intro for Dr. delatory in the episode, but let us give you a little bit up top. Dr. Delatory holds licensure as a psychologist in multiple states, as well as a master's degree in jurisprudence from St. Mary's University School of Law. He serves as a regular psychological analyst for television news and court programs. Dr. Delatory holds the distinction of being a certified clinical traumatologist equipped to address traumatic experience as well as his training as a skilled negotiator and mediator, further enriching his skill set.
0: So please enjoy and we'll see you next week with an all new show.
1: Hey sorry. everybody. It is 4 p.m. and we are live streaming on our new platform with the full fee payment <laughs> so we won't be cut <laughs> off after, what, 20 minutes is what happened last time?
0: Right, right, right. Um, yeah, let me, give me one second. Let me just text our guest and let him know we're going to do some housekeeping at the top. Um, <laughs> talk amongst yourselves. I
1: feel like my theme music should be playing. I should next time I'll play. Come
0: theme on, music man. Over. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Okay. Um, hey, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Couch. Now streaming from elsewhere. And hopefully you're catching us on YouTube. Best way to do it. Uh, but we will continue to have this audio feed on the Behind the Couch feed on our Patreon stream. And then the video. Is yes, live on YouTube right now, and we can keep that one, but we like to put our little intro on it. So we'll probably end up making it pretty and re putting it up there at some point. Uh, so I'm Dr. Shiloh here with Dr. Scott from LA Not So Confidential. How's everyone doing? Scott's going to be our, our monitor for YouTube. So go ahead and put your questions in there. We are also, we know it is streaming on Instagram right now. I'll try to keep an eye on that. Um, but we just, we're multitasking. We're trying to figure it out, is what we're doing. <laughs> but it looks like it's
1: working really well because we've got a lot of interaction going on over here in the live chat. And the way the live chat works is it's combining chat from all the platforms, I believe, and sort of routing them
0: um, on Lula. Here. If you're on the Lula website. Oh, is. if
1: you're on Lula. Okay. Yes. I did want to say, Ava. Hey, Ava. She's doing her homework for her sexual deviance course while watching this. So she's got oh. her priorities straight. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. you do have your priorities straight. Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh, living vicariously through you. I miss that stuff. <laughs> I oh, wow. Up- there's
1: a lot of there's a lot of homework being done. And yes. Yeah? Yes, Abby, I I did a, an acid peel. I did a home acid peel. So my skin is. Very glowy today. She gave me a compliment on my skin.
0: (laughs) I mean, what would our live streams be without our esthetician's corner?
1: (laughs) I know, seriously. Like, we should just broadcast while we're getting an extraction facial one day.
0: Oh, dude, my esthetician would be down for that. I saw her today. I had to go pick up some product, and she (laughs) asked me the other day, hey, do you want to be my model? I'm going to the school to learn this new thing and I need a person to like come down and practice on. She's like, I know you'd be down for it. And I was like, well, one, it'll be free, um, but I'd have to take a day off work. So it doesn't really work out. (laughs) She's like, okay, but we'll try it on you next. So
1: I did that one time in the 80s and got like the shittiest frost job Oh, like, God, oh, at a cosmetology
0: awful. school? It was
1: awful, yeah. I had, mean, like, a friend's like, oh, no, it'll be really great. And then I, my hair was just fried. I had to go, like, to a like a, a buzz cut for six weeks to grow this shit
0: out. Nice, nice. All spiky and frosty in the 80s. Yeah. Awesome,
1: awesome. <laughs> like little narrow sunglasses, yeah.
0: <laughs> but everybody,
1: welcome back. I Again, I know I say this every single time, but oh, my gosh. We have even more Patreon members. It's so exciting. Um, And and we also did something that we should have been doing from the beginning, as like most Patreon feeds do, is um, now that we have regular advertisers on our show, um, if you're a Patreon member, you get an exclusive ad-free version of our show. Yes. Um, So check that out, as well as some other swag. And we want to welcome our new Patreon members, uh, Lauren, Lucinda, Elizabeth A., Leah H., Kathleen C., Adriana, Bethany, Jennifer R., Mark B., Shelby T., Delaney P., Jackie R., Jennifer M., Alexis F., Robin, Lacey, Jennifer, and Sophia F. That was Jennifer S. as opposed to Jennifer R. We want to make sure we get both of those in.
0: And Jennifer M.
1: (laughs) And Jennifer M. Thank you guys so much. Y'all are just like... Burst in my cold little Southern heart. I'm telling you.
0: Yeah, you guys are killing it. We've had a lot of folks sign up lately. And thank you so much. Um, Tell us what you want. Tell us what you need as Patreon members, what you'd like to see. And we'll try to do the best we can. Um, You know, when you leave Patreon, we get to see why people leave. And I can tell you, overwhelming majority is... Not complaining about what they're getting or not getting. It's just their financial situation has changed, which we totally understand. And then we have people come back when they can again, and it's just whatever you guys, you know, we're just again so grateful to have the folks here that we have, and we we try to figure out ways that we can make time to do things for you. So yes, we will be starting with episode 100 on up to get the um, ad free episodes up there and then we'll start working backwards when we have the time to (laughs) because some of those we need to stitch together some of them um we need to put music on maybe scott has all those somewhere in a beautiful cache that he can just dump and i can get them in there but we'll figure it out but we'll definitely start with episode 100 moving forward so you guys have all that um what else anything at the top we'll be in dallas Next week, this time next week for True Crime Podcast Festival. Um, so excited to be back to see friends to do our presentation, which is looking amazing. We are doing a case study on the Sherry Papini case with Amy and Megan from Women in Crime. So you'll have four doctors on a panel picking apart this really, really unique situation. Um It's interesting in doing the research for that. I actually found a vintage case of somebody that was semi-famous here in LA back in the 30s that faked her own sort of kidnapping. So stay tuned for that probably in our future.
1: (laughs) So, and we've also, you know, we're getting back in the groove of our live feeds um, or our live streams um, as opposed to twice a month. We're doing once a month, but that's because we've we've added additional content. Yeah, right. now have weekly content that includes an, an ongoing vintage series and ongoing, cover, ongoing coverage of a documentary. And those documentaries that we're reviewing and commenting on have all been suggested by you, our listeners. And there are some great ideas. So yeah. we've already um, recorded several of those, and they'll be coming out on our regular schedule.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many documentaries. It's like we get a ton of um, recommendations and, We're only doing one a month. It's. I wish we would be able to do more. Uh, And I know there's other podcasts that that's just their thing and that's what they do, so they can keep up with whatever the documentary of the month or the week is. Um, But yeah, we're we're like we said, we're going to kind of toggle back and forth to what is um, sort of hot and trendy if we can time it right, as well as maybe going back and looking at some of those more foundational ones. I think we're probably coming up on doing some that are multi-episode finally. So maybe you and I could be watching some stuff on the plane on the way to and from Dallas to get ready for our next ones.
1: Absolutely. You got to love that Netflix <laughs> download feature.
0: <laughs> All right. So I am going to admit our guest, Dr. John Del Torre, while I go ahead and introduce you guys to him. This is his second time with us. Um if you remember, Dr. John Delatori is a fellow forensic psychologist working in many of the areas that Scott and I have both worked in. Uh, this man has just a ton of experience. We were So like smitten with his brain last time he was here, we had to have him back. (laughs) Um, He's licensed in Arizona, Texas, New York. You've probably also seen him as he has done a lot of commentary. I feel like it's almost every day I see a tweet that John's going to be on Court TV or Law and Crime Trial Network speaking on such a wide variety of forensic psych topics. Talk about having like your finger on the pulse. You really get to talk about this stuff in real time. Here we have to record stuff ahead of time, but you're like doing it on the daily, it feels like.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know about on the daily, but certainly more often than I think I I had anticipated that I would be doing. Uh, And it's certainly an interesting aspect to the work that we do because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of experts that go onto all of these trials and it's certainly helpful to understand, to break down what the expert is testifying to to an audience, yeah, right. To to figure out what exactly it is that they found and whether or not that uh, stands up to the scientific rigor that it should, because most most often it doesn't. I have a lot of problems with some of the experts <laughs> that uh, testify. <laughs> don't you sometimes don't you sometimes
1: want to go experts
2: in air? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, there, there have been times when I've rolled my eyes on air to oh. some of the stuff that that has been said. So yeah.
0: Did you, um, because I know, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but going through grad school, I remember being heavily warned against, and this was probably just the bias of my teaching staff, about being a quote-unquote talking head. And so I think for me, that really had me tread lightly of like, is this something I want to do? What sort of projects would I pick? John, was that on your radar i mean and tell us how you kind of fell into it if it wasn't uh
2: so how i fell into it was that i have uh, a journalism background from college so uh i was managing editor of the student newspaper so i i I had already had some journalism background i had uh, some some awards for television news anchoring stuff like that so I had already had that experience and I didn't like I didn't want to lose it but as I got further and further into grad school like I got further and further away from journalism mm. uh I ended up coming back to it a little bit when it comes to my writing style and I make sure that I incorporate alternative uh ideas alternative hypotheses I make sure that I look at whatever I'm doing from multiple lenses uh so that's in, so the, so some of the writing is included in in my reports but Law and crime was still a brand new network, but not brand, brand new, but they, they were still looking for some people, um, to kind of fill in for, for some of the commentary that they were doing. And I had said, you know, you guys have live trials and you guys have experts that are on there. Wouldn't it be beneficial if you had an expert yourself to talk about whether or not that that's up to snuff.
0: So you approached them.
2: I approached them. yes, and, and they said, yes, you know, and Really, that's kind of been sort of the thing that I've been doing pretty much my entire career, which is I may be prepared for it. I may not be, but I'm never going to know until after I've done the thing. So I usually just ask, you know, all they can do is say no or not answer. And if they say yes, then I got to figure out how I'm going to do it. So (laughs) definitely, but I've never, I I never uh, in, in our program, I don't think it was ever on their radar that someone would be a talking head. And so, yeah, it, like it was never, it was never approached to us. But there's always, it, whatever ethics class you take, they always say that you're going to do something wrong. And the problem is, is that they don't know how to read the ethics right. They don't, they don't like, exactly. No, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not as hard as people like to think it is, and you're not going to get in trouble right. uh, as often as you as they say that you're going to get in trouble. So, That's I just a great way I, to put it. I do what I do, and if someone has a problem well i I'll, I'll ask
1: them where in statute does it say that I can't do this so you know, yeah. i I think that's Shiloh had such a good question, and it makes me think about sort of a timeline i mean I'm an older adult, but i'm a you know I'm a mid career. Psychologist, because this is my third career. I went to school late, and I heard some of that stuff. I was warned in my forensics classes and expert testimony classes, like, yeah, I mean, this this is a very necessary thing to do. We need people to do this, but be prepared, know what it means. Hmm. But I don't. But that was also over fifteen years ago, and I don't think anybody back then had any idea about how media was going to evolve. I don't. I mean, I certainly would not have been able to predict it, and I know my professors weren't able to. So, I think that maybe we kind of tend to look through that lens that was forced on us, you know, two decades ago that just doesn't fit in today's world, because there's a need for this now. There's actually a real need for commentary on framing something within appropriateness and morality and ethics.
2: Or else you're stuck with these TikTokers who are like, uh, like doing all this strange content and stuff like that. And, and so I, I liken what I do and probably what you guys do too is this is the teaching part of what we do right this this is us doing that aspect of of our work which includes teaching and includes you know making sure that other people understand what exactly it is that's going on and and all that other stuff cuz you, you definitely don't want to be you know beholden to the tiktokers of the world yeah, you know, oh my God,
1: they're everything. There yeah. are some right now. There's one that's saying it's a psychological fact. If someone looks up to their right while you're talking to them, they're in love with you. Like, what? Where did you <laughs> even come up <laughs> with this? To...
2: Doctor Scott, you, you you're going to get me on a rant here. <laughs>
0: Go for it. We court love TV,
2: rants. Because court, court TV has done this thing a couple of times, not often, in the evening programming that that I've been a part of. They have someone on there that is a body language expert, mm. and the book is the the book that this person wrote is called "You Can't Lie to Me," and it's I. I I have to roll my eyes every time I listen to this. And when I get asked, you know, when I'm on air and they ask me, you know, well, this person is doing this thing, Dr. Delatore, you know, what is the body language would say? I say, I always answer with, we have to really be cautious when we're answering a question about body language. I don't know this person, so I can't tell you. The science behind body language is absolute trash. There, There is nothing to suggest that any of the body language experts actually know what they're talking about. And this one person in particular, it was during the Amber Heard trial and was mm-hmm. saying all of this awful stuff about Amber Heard, about what her behaviors, right? What her body language was saying that she was doing. And I have like an actual, in my mind, I'm thinking about all the actual real world reasons why she would be engaging in those behaviors sure. that have nothing to do with character logical issues or mental health issues, right. Or personnel, like, like it has nothing to do with this. Like, because she held her head up like this, that she's a snob, well, she wears a hair piece, or she wears a, like a big thing of hair. So that's going to get heavy. Like, yeah. that's why her head's up because she's wearing <laughs> a giant fake hair. Wig. It's
0: just logistical people. It is, it's it's
1: just, Well, it's also it's, cultural. I mean, you know, there's, yeah. To make these broad generalizations about people, I mean, there are so many cultures just within the geographic U.S. that have very, very different standards for how you present yourself effectually and how you sit. You know, I grew up in the Deep South, and every every girl of my generation and before was taught sort of the beauty queen way to sit. Like, this is the Mm -hmm. only way you sit and you don't move. So, how could you read into that? There's... Yeah, I... And there's several other copycat body language experts. I mean, how do they How do they get that title? Like, how did you become an expert? There's no courses for that. Yeah, one of them is
2: like, well, I've been in like the DEA for 20 years or something like that. So they'll lean on law enforcement experience and stuff like that. And it, they're clearly using... Right, inappropriate yeah. techniques that they learned as part of like the interrogation process as they right. developed uh, their law enforcement skills. But it's it, it's like I don't want our audience to think that body language like you can't do it. What's true is that if the longer you get to learn someone, right, the longer you know someone, the more that you can kind of see how their body moves and why they do the things that they do. But that takes time. Yeah, like even in our therapy clients, like it takes us a little while of understanding. Who they are before we can understand what their body's doing, but a cold read or something like that, right? That's all the, that's flim flame man, right? That That's a huckster, right? That's, that's PT Barnum kind of stuff. That's <laughs> not, that's, that's not legitimate.
0: Yeah, it is. Scott and I were just having a conversation with someone last night about what an expert is. And, you know, we broke down, you know, a, a plumber can be an expert in a court of law. He has a specific set of skills and experience and training that the average population doesn't have so he can be viedured and testify to that but then when you talk about these professionals that are quote unquote experts like you're giving the example of a dea agent perhaps saying he's an expert in body language reading or lying truth telling whatever that has that has nothing to do with the thing that they're asking him to be an expert on yeah you're you're probably an expert on perhaps speaking with criminals doing investigations perhaps, but it's just based on training. To me, I always go, okay, training super important, but where's the research and the evidence-based data to back up what yeah. you're even saying?
2: Yeah. But it makes good. For, it makes for good TV Heck having yeah. someone like this, and, <laughs> and sometimes that's what that's what it's about, right? It's a, it's about that advertising sales and having good TV. So it's it's a it's an important balance, right? To have someone that is definitely more dramatic and brings a sense of you know the, theatric theatricality mm-hmm. to to what we're doing, but also then having someone that's a little bit more grounded and and sort of well, let's take a different approach, right? Let's look at what yeah. these individuals are doing through a different lens and making sure that it's balanced, but.
0: For sure. And and I think, again, this was something Scott and I were also having a conversation about last night was, you know, I might have that voice of my professor in my head who, okay, yeah, that was 15 years ago, but when did they get trained? How long ago was that, right? So all this doom and gloom um, is something they passed on to me, but Scott and I and you, it seems, have really thoughtfully looked at when we do different projects and put our names out there and attach it in our voices and our faces. We're very thoughtful about that, but our professionalism is something that can't be tainted. Even if it's like the worst production in the world, we are who we are. We're going to present that way. I know there's editing that can be done to do terrible things to people, but um, I feel like you hit that sweet spot of Um, And it makes sense now that you have that journalism background that you've told us about because, you know, you're informative, you're professional, but you're also entertaining to watch. And if I get an eye roll from a a forensic psychologist when it's warranted, I'm going to love that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, okay, that's real. Like, good, good. Yeah. Um, So you're also finishing up another degree overachiever? I am. Can you tell us about that? Yes,
2: I am. So... To preface all of this, I am, in fact, in law school, right? I am. But I'm not getting a JD. Okay. I'm getting a a master's in jurisprudence. And the reason why I'm getting this degree is because I say that I'm a forensic psychologist, and I say that I'm supposed to be able to apply psychological concepts to the law. I don't have any real training in the law at mm. all. Like throughout graduate school, we had uh, this forensic professor who would tell us about what the law says, but I never actually went back and read the cases. I never went back and actually did any of those things because that's not what I was trained to do. Sure. And so now that I have my own practice, um, and attorneys are contacting me directly about you know doing the work. What I recognize is that they speak a completely different language. Mm. Like it, the law is so totally different, and there are things that they want me to do that number one, I don't understand where that's even coming from, and number two, I think a lot is getting lost in the translation. And so for me, it was incumbent upon me to say, they're not going to learn my language, right? They're not going to learn what it is that I learned. I spent a long time learning what I learned. Yeah. And so I found this program that's here in San Antonio, the law school here that offered a master's degree in jurisprudence. So I don't have to take like property or contracts classes. Like I don't have to take all of the other basic classes that a a lawyer needs to take. I specifically chose a criminal justice concentration. So I only took criminal law classes, procedure classes, constitutional law classes. Like I'm only taking classes that are specifically devoted to how I can... Uh, boost my legal language, my legal Yeah, yeah. So when I talk about these kinds of things, I can bridge the gap. And you see that a lot in, my, in the media commentary that I do, that I can bridge that gap between what an expert is thinking about psychologically versus what a, a lawyer is thinking about versus what a judge or a jury, they're supposed to be thinking about as it applies to the law. Mm. So I, I, I felt that a, a necessary for me. And I don't think it's necessary for every forensic psychologist. I just thought it was important for me to be able to learn to speak this other language and do so in a way that lawyers would feel comfortable saying, oh, well, you know, he went to law school, he gets it, right? I may totally. not be a lawyer, but, you know, I went to the same program that a lot of these other lawyers went to. So they get it, right? They, they feel more comfortable. And it's a good networking thing. So they just feel more comfortable being that's able to awesome.
0: talk to them. Uh, that's Commendable for sure. And you found another way to go back to school, which is what I would love to do, but I don't have the time or the money to do that. (laughs) But how cool is that? Very, very good. That's gonna just to have that concentration. We don't have to deal with all the other BS of law school. Um how great. Very, very cool. Um well, I thought Scott could give us a little recap on the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial before we get into some of these things we're gonna talk about today. Just if people did not watch or if they need reminding, because it's been a little bit, um, then we can jump into our sort of psych topics having to do with this. Scott?
1: So, yeah, I want to give some bullet points. Um, First, we want to just, I mean, if I'm sure anyone listening or watching today is not unaware of both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Johnny Depp has had a long, very significant career in Hollywood. He was basically a child actor, very, very gifted, regardless of what you think about him or what his behaviors are, both positive and negative. He is a very talented performer and also developed a reputation for being a brat on set very, very early. Um, His career derailed and went right into movies from 21 Jump Street when he just got tired of the work schedule. And he was the star of the show, kind of took his own path and really kind of just went from one success to the other. He's really only had several, just a handful of flops. Amber Heard is younger. Um, She herself is also a very talented actor. Um, She She has not had necessarily the large uh, roles that Mr. Depp has had, although her career was moving along, especially with her being part of the uh, DC universe as Mira um, and a superhero herself or an Atlantean um, uh, resident with a lot of superpowers. So, Anyway, uh, let's talk about just the basics of the trial. So between April 11th, 2022 and June 1st, 2022, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard engaged in a trial with Depp as plaintiff against defendant Amber Heard. Depp alleged that Heard had engaged in activities that resulted in defamation, leading him to file a claim of $50 million in damages. Heard, in response, countersued, claiming $100 million in damages. Depp and Heard were married from February 2015 to May 2016 after a long relationship when they met in 2009. Early in their divorce proceedings, Heard alleged that Depp had abused her physically, leading to Depp suing the UK news group Newspapers. Depp lost that suit, and it's significant to say here that the way things are tried and def- defined as defamation in the U.K. are actually quite different than they are in the U.S., and that is a very significant point here in these proceedings. In this most recent trial, Depp claimed that a December 2019 op-ed or opinion editorial by Amber Heard implicated him, without naming him, as that unnamed perpetrator of sexual violence against her person. Depp blamed the op-ed for the damage to his career. So he was doing, there's interesting too, he was having some career problems at that time, but it's an interesting juxtaposition of, juxtaposition of events that certainly made it worse. During the span of the trial, Depp's legal team focused on dispro, disproving Herd's allegations, and they gave examples of her history of instigating escalating events of violence, jurors ruled that Heard's claims and statement regarding sexual violence and domestic abuse were false and did in fact defame Depp with what is called actual malice. So intentional actual malice, Depp was awarded ten million in compensatory damages and five million dollars in punitive damages from Heard. The actual amount tendered, however, was reduced just to the punitive damages to three hundred fifty thousand dollars due to the limit that is imposed by the state of Virginia, where the trial took place. The jury also ruled that Depp's lawyers did actually defame Heard by falsely alleging that she and her friends staged damage to Depp's penthouse as part of a hoax. Heard was then awarded $2 million in compensatory damages and zero in punitive damages from Depp. The jury ruled that Waldman's other allegation, Waldman being Depp's, one of Depp's attorneys, his other allegations against herds sexual violence host and abuse hosts against Depp had not been proven to be defamatory. So that's, I mean, that's a lot. It's more than just a couple of bullet points, but all of those things are very important in the process of really what could be called like the reality TV trial of the century. I mean, there's a lot of competition for trial of the century going whenever century you're looking (laughs) at, but this was a big one and really quite a a bellwether for celebrity trials, I think.
0: So I thought maybe we can just start off with, as three forensic psychologists, personal or professional reactions to this whole circus of the century, (laughs) maybe. This is a good good uh, observation here. Um, uh, Scott, you want to start? Just like, what did you think about this when it was going on?
1: So I have a lot of mixed feelings um, and I think that they've continued to evolve. As most people who listen to us know, I was in the entertainment industry for a long time, first as a performer and then in talent management, casting, uh, television and film, and then in post-production. So I have I'm I'm used to performers living in a different world than the rest of us mere mortals. They mm-hmm. really do. Um, even if you're a C-list, middle-class working actor, you really live in a different world. Um, and I've met wonderful, wonderful celebrities that are the most down-to-earth people you've ever met. And I've met others that, like, are incredibly rude and yet at the same time incredibly sad. Like, the, to me, they radiate. You understand why they're acting this way. It's not acceptable behavior, but you understand it. So I I have this understanding that a lot of performers that reach that level, it's almost like politics. You have to have a certain level of narcissism. Whether you are narcissistic yourself, you have to have these traits that you utilize in order to protect your career. You know, people get very angry, like, I can't believe that Matt Damon didn't stop and talk to me for five minutes in Olive Garden and sign my autograph. It's like, he lives in a different world than you do. That's not possible for him to do this with every single person that they meet. But then that one thing gets put online and it turns into a completely different monster. Now, all of this being said, this is not how we feel about these individuals. I don't particularly like either one of them. I don't find either one of them likable at all. I do recognize and acknowledge their talent, and I certainly recognize how much money they can make, the people that hire them. But what this comes down to, and this is where I've had arguments with very dear friends of mine that are private practice clinicians at like the doctoral level, at the master's level, is I keep telling them, Stop judging both of these players by your personal feelings about them. And let's look at this is a trial of defamation. This is allegations. And this is about whether or not those allegations have enough evidence to prove that they are true in a court of law. And that's all that this is about. And it got ugly and circus-like. And I think that we all have to look at our internal misogyny, our internalized misogyny. Um, our internal judgment, myself included, I have to check myself, but sorry, I'll put my my box back under the desk <laughs> now, but I think it's complex. I mean, and and yeah. you know, I'm a mental health professional with a lot of training and it's complex for me. And I think that it's just easy for people to square off and start pointing fingers. And that's all based on their visceral reaction to these very dramatic personalities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. John, what about you? Just high-level view personally I'm,
2: i'm gonna echo every single thing that dr scott just said and i've said all of that stuff on air like all of it, everything that you, I was just about. copying you. I just like, yeah. I was like reading you, <laughs> including the internalized uh, misogyny. Like there were, there were a lot of like hangers on for Johnny Depp that came after who sort of were justifying uh everything. And you could hear what they were saying. And, and I had gone on air and I said that a lot of what I'm hearing is sort of uh, misogynistic. And I got just roasted online for saying, well, you just don't get it. You, you're not paying it. Like you, you clearly don't get it, but I'm going to, add a couple of things because i agree 100 percent with everything from i don't like either one of the two I, d- I don't think that either one really put on the best case i think it was all show like there were a lot of problems that i had i had problems with uh the experts The so good quote unquote experts that i have problems with every single one that had gone on um i i, I don't think that they were as infallible as they portrayed themselves out mm-hmm. to be But the other thing, the real thing that really got to me was that Amber Heard's defense team did not show up to protect her in any way, shape, or form. And I get that truth is the absolute defense against defamation, but at every turn, Johnny Depp's team had a trap set up for them. And these two individuals continuously walked into every single, like they could not, and they had like a two week break and they could not change tack at all. Mm. I think what, I think the real issue that was at play that did not come until the very closing arguments, was that this thing was written in an op-ed, an opinion editorial. This needed to be about the First Amendment. Does she have the right to say her opinion about her perception about her life? And nowhere was any of that evidence presented to the jury. Nowhere whether we like her or not, whether we believe her or not, is totally and completely irrelevant to this. Does she have a First Amendment right to say what her opinion is, to say what her perception about her life is? And I don't think her defense team came anywhere close to even getting to the jury to say, no, this isn't about, quote-unquote, defamation. This is just the suit that was brought by Johnny Depp. This is about the, your First Amendment right to say your opinion, and nowhere in there did they say did they present any evidence until until the very closing argument, and even then there was only a few sentences. And I think that's that's where they missed it. This could not be a a, a grudge match in the dirt because Amber Heard was going to lose, and I I, I have pr- plenty of reasons why I think she was going to lose, but she was going to lose this thing, and this needed to be an argument about the constitution and i think that would have gotten virginia jury to talk about like actual constrict, constructionist uh, interpretation of the of the constitution would have turned that jury but their defense team just failed her just constantly failed
0: her. yeah that would have been so clean and concrete for them to wrap their heads around yeah. what a great defense that would have been like here it is this is all this is about the rest of this is dog and pony Yeah, and, focus and she, on that
1: and, and she still may not have won but at least it would have been cleaner yeah, right
0: true
1: yeah true yeah
0: well i let you guys go first about your opinions about this case because i can tell you i recoiled from it very early on <laughs> um and really started to uh tap into more of what was going on online about it and didn't like that either. It just felt so icky that um, I really just kind of tapped out at that point. I watched a few TikTok like hilarious things done by very creative people. um, And I know people were just glued to their televisions, but I really felt gross watching it and watching the recaps and reading about things that were happening afterwards that I really just just distanced myself from it because I don't know what period of time I was in my life. But it was just too much to add to my plate, even for entertainment factor. But but that was just it. That, I guess that is my takeaway, that it felt like, why are we being allowed to watch this? Of course, I know why. But like we're being allowed to watch this, and therefore, it's an entire performance for the world to cast judgment, um, which just felt didn't feel like justice for anybody.
2: No, no, I, I 100% agree with all of that too. Cause it's just, one of the things that really struck out to me, particularly early on with some of Johnny Depp's character witnesses that were there was that they always described him as this Southern gentleman. (laughs) What? Why, Why would a Southern gentleman? And I'm from, I'm not from the deep South. I'm from Texas. Right. But so I'm from the South. Right. But as a as a Southern gentleman, I'd never like Southern gentlemen don't bring out the dirty laundry in this way against a woman as as misogynistic as that might be. Right. You know, whatever that is, this is not something that a Southern gentleman would ever do. And so to, to for other people and him to come out and say that he's this kind of person, there are other ways that you could have handled this. Right. In the press, in the media. Right. You've been in, you've been in Hollywood for a long amount of time. You've got PR people that you can that you can hire to get you past this. Right. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. right. Rob Lowe, like with the list goes on. Uh, even uh, Louis C.K. just won a Grammy. Right. So there are all yeah. these people that have weathered this kind of storm before and none of them took it like this i know robert danny g i know he went to trial but that, i mean that sure. wasn't nearly as uh dramatic as this but it's just it you're right it it just felt it felt gross it felt icky it it did it it felt like we were being forced to be a voyeur to to these two's uh right. yeah. like uh, inappropriate relationship and having to listen to all of this stuff it just it's just, I don't know, it was, just it yeah. was just gross. But people ate it
0: up. It did. It was, it, it was very performative from you know attorneys and experts and everyone involved. And I thought it kind of did the court an injustice, so to speak. Um, so, of course, like as this is going on, and you know, you're doing your commentary. You and I are kind of messaging back and forth about a few things. And you brought up this concept of the black sheep phenom- phenomenon. Um, yeah. And I thought it was just so interesting and so spot on for what we were seeing starting to play out uh, in, you know, social media and the layperson's commentary. Can you define that for us? And then yes. let's just talk about how it applied here.
2: Yeah, so I think our audience understands the difference between the in-group and the out-group bias. You know, we tend to paint an out-group, right? People that we're not a part of, groups that we're not a part of. It's just one big, long brushstroke, right? They're all the same personality. They have all the same characters. They have all the same flaws. We just paint all the out-group as just one, just big individual. But our in-group, right, the groups that we do belong to, we can see, you know, all the positive qualities and negative qualities. We see them as individuals. What I noticed was that even within the in-group that Amber Heard was supposed to be a part of, a, a woman first, domestic violence survivor number two, right, sexual assault survivor number, like there were all these groups that she's supposed to be a part of, that you would think would rally to her because she's part of the in group that's the whole point of being of having a group is that they rally to you and they protect you and you know they assist you in whatever it is that they need? It's the outgroup, right? It's the men, right? It's it's mm-hmm. the individuals who have been found guilty of domestic violence but continue to claim that they were innocent, right? Like it's all the outgroup. That's who should be attacking Amber Heard, like th- that we should be hearing from the the men first and right in cells, you know, like we should be hearing right. from all of these people about how much they hate Amber Heard. But one thing that I noticed when you go online is all of this sort of real bad, nasty language being directed towards her from the people that are supposed to be in her group. And that's called the black sheep phenomenon. That's when, you know, as a member of the in-group, you notice that someone is not fitting in. They're not participating in the in-group the way that they should be. So then they're ostracized as being the black sheep of the family. Right, so that's why we call it the, the, the black sheep phenomenon. So a member of our in-group is, doing, is violating our in-group uh, societal norms. And so now they must be
1: pushed out and, and, and pushed to the side. That makes me think so much of, you know, at the master's level and really um, getting trained in family systems when one individual becomes the identified patient. Yeah, Like mm. we we're we're a working system. We are a psycho-cybernetic organism that relies on each other, but this one is not doing this is the one that's not doing what we want them to do. And if that person were to be removed and taken out of the system completely, somebody else is going to fit that role. Yeah. And that's I think what you're describing it seems very similar to that, is that the the movement, you know, the protection of women's rights and bodily autonomy, and you know, the right to be free of of violence perpetrated upon themselves, you know, ha, is such a has so much light on it right now that they, you know, it's necessary to have the person that represents it in the most holistic and wholesome way, and that's just not what she can do. Part of it is because, like we were saying earlier, neither one of them is likable. I mean, if you want to break it down, like one of the things that they give as a seminal sort of turning point for their relationship was when they, because she was busy, he took his own boots off. And that was the beginning of the end for them. And she supposedly just goes insane and blah, 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 you know, all these things that he says. And yet, what we do is we're all completely happy to ignore. It's like, wait, you guys have been together for years and your, your daily routine is to come in and sit down and have her take this submissive role of taking off your boots. How effed up is that? I mean, yeah. you know, look in a, in a real relationship outside the bubble of celebrity, it's like, you know, if my husband tried to do that, I'd go like, um, did you empty the dishwasher? <laughs> is, the gar- is the garbage in? Cause that's what I'm yeah. more interested in. I can take off my fucking shoes, go clean out the dishwasher. Yeah,
0: that's an alternate alternate (laughs) universe that they live in. Right. Absolutely. Um, So when there is a black sheep in our in-group, is it just that they're not going with the herd as a play on words, I guess, here (laughs) enough? Or do we know what it is about that black sheep that then causes us to rally against them? And then I guess my second part to that is, what do you think it was about Amber that had other survivors shun her?
2: Yeah, so I, it, it's unclear what exactly it is that creates this black sheep. Other than we recognize they're not fitting in into the culture that we've established as part of our in group. Um, it, it's it's hard to say what is what exactly it is that's going to make someone the black sheep. It could be that there is some kind of inaction, right? Maybe they were supposed to do something and then they didn't, and then moving forward that they're not going to be. Well accepted, or it could just be that they were supposed to represent something to a society at large, and they failed to do so and so now, because they failed to do it now, we have to shun them in such a way. I think there are a lot of things that amber heard that were unfortunate for amber heard uh number one, she 's not likable mm. uh, number two, I think her physical appearance. Can, it can work against you in some ways. I, I think some people may be turned off by her attractiveness. Hmm, right? Like a reverse
0: the, halo effect.
2: Yeah, like a reverse halo effect. Uh, I think it's, what do they call it? The devil's horns or something like that. Yeah. They call it something else. Um, and so, but the the one thing that I absolutely think turned everyone against her was that she kept embellishing the story. Mm. And you could, f- we're not good at telling uh, when some, we're not good at lie detectors, right? We can't tell when someone is lying to us. Not right. really, right? but we can absolutely tell when someone is telling us the truth. We're much better at we're, t- that, yeah. we're truth detectors. And so what I saw when Amber Heard was giving her testimony was someone who was looking for feedback Whenever we tell a story, you know, we're all sitting mm-hmm. at the bar or something like that. We're drinking beers, right? we're starting to tell our, you know, tall tales about how our life's been. We look to others, right, for our story to get feedback, immediate feedback. And if we don't think our story's landing, we're going to embellish just a little bit more, right? That's just our natural tendency as storytellers is just to kind of say, hey, you know, you guys aren't feeling it. So let me just up the ante a little bit. Yeah,
1: and That's fascinating. We, that sounds like cold reading. Like when you go to a Vegas show and somebody's the mentalist. Yes. And, and so the, the, they, keep, they keep putting out bits and pieces of information so that somebody latches onto it.
2: Yes. And we're, we're, we are good at detecting those kinds of things, particularly from those individuals that we want to accept us right? So if we want to be accepted by this group that maybe we only have a limited uh, participation in or maybe it's a we have a long-standing participation but we need bigger status than what we have recently. So we start telling these kinds of stories and we start noticing how people are responding to these kinds of stories. And if we're getting good response, then we just continue to tell the story as is. If people are starting to look away, right, that they're focusing on other things or maybe they're starting to have side conversations, then we have to say something traumatic to draw people back into Mm -hmm. the conversation and so people were looking at amber heard's testimony and what she was saying and it always seemed like it was one step more like every single event that she's describing she describes and then she turns to the jury describes a little bit more and then the next event occurs she describes it she turns to the jury she gets whatever feedback that they're giving and then she goes a little bit further so every single time every event it becomes just a little bit more and more embellished that had she just stuck had she just stuck with one story just just one story all you needed is if your case theory is that the absolute truth is defense to defamation just say one story that can absolutely be believable to everyone because everyone has had this experience in a relationship. Just stick to one. But it started becoming 12, 13, 15, 20 different incidents that were supposed to be abuse where she's claiming that she's, you know, got the crap beat out of her or something like, and then there's pictures of, of it not happening. And so now she has to up the ante, right? Because not only was she the defendant, she was a plaintiff on the countersuit that she said Right. That she filed. So now she's got to go back in for the rebuttal. So I think what was happening was all of these members who were she's supposed to be an in-group of all these women's groups, feminists, right, domestic violence survivors, right, intimate partner violence, sexual assault, like all of these groups that she's supposed to be a part of are looking at her. They're turned off by her because of her attractiveness, right? They don't think, they don't believe her because she's, you know, a beautiful actress, number one. Some people tend to believe that the more attractive you are, the less likely you are to engage and uh, have bad things happen to you. Mm. And then uh, and then she goes on the stand and starts saying all of these things. And people are like this, but this doesn't sound like the truth. It may not be a lie it's certainly not the truth and so then they just then they come after you more and more and more and that's when you are the black sheep and that's when the entire social media community has completely turned well not everybody there's obviously you know some people who believe i believe amber heard was a pretty uh trending hashtag but a lot of people just did not believe her and that's because it seemed like she was embellishing when she did not need to And that's the other thing. She did not need to
1: do it. There's so much performing going on with both of them in very different ways. Yeah. And one of the ideas that I noted, I mean, one of the things I noted in watching her was, you know, there's a rhythm to the way people speak and share information. And if you're overwhelmed with earnestness, it becomes overwhelming to the point that it doesn't make any sense anymore. And everything that, you know, as she, like you said, that, that word embellish, as she continued and continued to embellish, and it was so earnest and so earnest, it's like it, it didn't feel real anymore, you know, no matter how good of actors both of them are, it, it, you know, that kind of level of earnestness at this level ongoing oh, day after day, it just didn't feel sustainable. I wonder if that's yeah. kind of one of the reasons I had the, yeah. the visceral reaction I did.
0: Well, it's so interesting to think of, like you're saying, let's put ourselves in her shoes and her perspective of being in a courtroom, which is, you know, they're not a traditional like entertainment audience. And if she's sitting there thinking, oh man, I'm getting nothing back here, which you're not really supposed to in a courtroom, right? Like most people are going to be kind of neutral and stoic. And And they're wearing masks.
2: They were wearing masks. The jury was wearing masks
0: Is so fascinating i i just I had to that i just had an intern um that was working with us a couple years ago do a study looking at how police officers interact with the public with masks on and they did reading of emotions they did they use the famous um i think it's a tests out of chicago where it's just on screen you know looking at yeah. people's emotions with masks anyway i digress but that, it's just so interesting to think of from her perspective she feels like she's not getting what she needs in the moment when she's incredibly anxious and nervous and sitting there and she needs some feedback some soothing and so she embellishes a little bit more maybe not even to consciously you know, win or get sympathy, but because in the moment, it just feels off for her.
2: And also, if we want to talk about, if we want to continue with our social psychological talk that we're having, she's primed because when she's driving into the courthouse, all she sees are justice for Johnny, right? The llamas that were there for Johnny Depp, like all of these things, everyone that was there was only for Johnny Depp, the courthouse, right? The courtroom, right? In the gallery. All of them were for Johnny Depp. So she's walking into a room where everyone is there that's against her. And so she's already primed to say, I have to win these people over. Talking about, you know, some of these diagnoses that she got, the narcissism, borderline, Mm -hmm. all that nonsense that she was diagnosed with. Right. I think it was that it's completely wrong. If these individuals, right, who grow up in the entertainment industry, who want to have entertainment jobs, understand that in order to get the job, in order to get money, right, in order to live, they have to win these producers over. You walk into a room and everyone's a producer because you don't know who has the real power, right? Dr. Scott, you you don't know who the one is really going to be making the decision. So you have to win every single one of them over and you don't know who they are. Not as a person. So you don't know what kind of person you need to be in order to win them over. So then you have to be all things to everyone all of the time. The people that you really need on your side have a mask over half of their face, right? And the people that you can see are all carrying signs that say justice for Johnny. And you know that they're not there for you. Mm-hmm. So I how do you how can you win? How can you win?
1: I, I think that's a really astute observation. And I like especially the fact that you know. What you're doing is pulling away from diagnostic labels, which I think is really wise and, and moral and ethical and frankly better than me because I, I generally tend to get pulled into like, oh, let's slap a diagnosis on it. But one of the things along the lines of that that worked in Depp's favor is that he never wavered in what he was. He presented as his sort of artistic grotesquerie you know, that he's been doing for years and he was continuous and you may not like it, but at least he's consistent as opposed to what we saw in Amber is this attempt at being a chameleon to every single question and then, and not, and having difficulty sustaining it. I mean, it felt very frustrating for her at some point where she's trying, like you said, to be all things to all people and no one no one can sustain that and nor should they. It may, we might've, the audience might've trusted her more if she was just able to maintain like a, sen- you know, project a sense of s- stable identity in a way, I guess. Yeah. I described it on air when we were
2: talking about the differences between their testimony. I said that Johnny Depp's testimony was naturalistic and authentic. Amber Heard's testimony was rehearsed. Now, I didn't think that either one did something that they shouldn't have done. Uh, Johnny Depp absolutely needed to be naturalistic and authentic. Amber Heard absolutely needed to be rehearsed. Neither one did the thing that they shouldn't have done, but Johnny Depp was prepared because he was consistent. Mm. With Amber Heard, she didn't have the consistency that's associated with it. So she may have been rehearsed, but she's still looking for feedback. Johnny Depp didn't care about the feedback because he wasn't the one saying that all of these things impacted his mental illness. So Amber is mental health. So Amber Heard, who used mental health as a part of her uh, defense strategy, now she needs to play into these kinds of things. And now she's got this other expert saying that she's got these other kinds of things. She's got her own expert saying that she's got different things. And who is who can she believe? Who, who can who? Who is the most, per- who's the person that she can absolutely rely on as being truthful in what, what they want for her? Johnny yeah. doesn't care because he knows he has all of them. He had a string of individuals go on there, talk about how great he is. Who did Amber Heard have? She didn't have anybody. She had her sister, but everybody's going to, you know, lower that credibility because it's her sister. Yeah. So it, it was it's it's such an interesting and kind of voyeuristic look into the into their relationship, into their world that we probably didn't need to get but now that we now that it's here, now Now
0: that it's here. <laughs> um, I just want to read some of the just some things from social media. You talked about the the justice for Johnny Depp hashtag. So on TikTok videos tagged justice for Johnny Depp amassed over 20 billion Views, While well, hashtag wow. I stand with Amber Heard amassed only 30 million. Um, you know, content creators just like went to town. There was the trend of mocking her testimony from like putting her as Dr. Evil. Hashtag Amber Turd was something that was, you know, viral yeah. to the, my dog stepped on a bee meme that we couldn't get away from. Um <laughs> They were doing comedy skits mocking her legal team's performance. I mean, the ridicule was just, like, really, really hard to escape. Um, And then you have Johnny Depp with his odd behaviors that were just sort of written off as, like, his little quirks. You know, so again, we're we're doing this double standard thing. Well, every single move of hers was disparaging of you know she's being manipulative or cruel or emotionally unstable right what do we always go to with women like let's just see her her
1: wounds just flying all over the room
0: it's it's wandering it's wandering (laughs) and also
1: like why you know an example of, of holding that double standard is you know johnny's um Declaration that I will not look you in the eye, you know, like it was oh yeah, like why why wouldn't we give that much at, at least that as much ridicule as we would Amber's behaviors because it really was just as yeah as significant. Yeah. It's just they were willing to accept that and in him, where we won't accept her behaviors. Yeah. Let me jump Let me, because it, it, this could
2: tie back to something that we talked about earlier. Before we had heard that he had, t- he had told her that I will never look at you, she had already gone on the stand and he was already looking down the entire time. So it was on. Uh, a network with a body language expert and the body language expert said that the reason why he wasn't looking up was because he was the real victim in the story in, in this, in, in this incident. And a real victim never looks their uh, perpetrator in the eye. What?
0: So that's never?
1: why never, never looks their oh, perpetrator. Speaking in, in the absolutes eye. now. Wow. And, I, I must, I, that must not have come up in any of my textbooks. I, or maybe I, I missed I, that. I need to go look.
2: I believe that was the one time, because usually I can keep myself together, but I think that was the one time I actually rolled my eyes on air. Like we're, <laughs> when we're in the box, like how we yeah. are like this three-headed box, usually there's four of us. But when I literally rolled my eyes when I listened to that. And Please so tell me you came, have a
0: screenshot of that somewhere. <laughs>
2: so, so I'm sure it's somewhere. Uh, and, so, and so then they came to me and said, Dr. Del Torre, what do you think? And I, I think... What I said was that what I think happened was Johnny Depp has a tendency of making all of his, like, all of his emotions come out on his face. He makes all kinds of weird faces when, like, he's upset or he thinks something's wrong. So I think his attorneys told him, look, man, you need to look down because if she's telling a story and you start making faces, like, the jury's going to see this. You You need to knock that stuff off I had not even considered that. Sure. Wow. And, and so I, I, what I said on air was that I think what's happening is they told him to not look at her because when she says something, you're going to make a face and you don't want the jury turning because you've already won at that point. He had already, they were playing from Amber Heard's team was playing from so far behind. They were never going to catch up. And so don't do anything to lose it. So if he started making faces, then he's more likely to lose the jury. And then later on, we start hearing this nonsense about how, well, I'll never look you in the eye again and stuff like that. They clearly looked at her and stuff like Mm -hmm. during breaks, like he clearly did this. I think what really happened was they told him to stop, you know, don't look at her. Don't make faces. Right. She's going to say what she's going to say. Let her do it and just move on. But this but this body language expert said that a victim never looks at their perpetrator in the eye. And it's clear then that because he was looking down he was the victim in this case.
0: I'm sorry. Victims go back to their perpetrators a lot. Like yeah. come on. No, I, 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 mean, I actually not even worth a rebuttal there, I guess. <laughs>
1: it's I just uh, it was it was ridiculous. No, great example. Thank you yeah. for
0: that. Scott, are there any questions from anyone on the feed over at YouTube?
1: I'm not seeing any questions. I mean, we've got a lot of activity. Let me tell okay. you like this is this is and also another we have got some really smart listeners who I are, know are making really great comments
0: yeah we have and it's, on it's nice to know
1: that people are are have feelings about this both ways but can look at it somewhat dispassionately because i think that that's what we're getting mainly from what you're what dr john is sharing with us today yeah. is that you have to look at the big picture and and um it's a lot more complex than social media wants us to have it we want it we want it to to be just as money-making as a tiktoker i guess
0: For sure. I have one from on Instagram, um, Hobosaurus Rex, love that name. Um, Isn't it also that she didn't fit the desired picture of victim, not because she was attractive, but because her embellishment and her bad behavior undermined the simple image that advocates promote. So I think we touched on this, but, you know, I think that's also sort of a A forward trend in true crime is like, look, we don't have to say that everybody lit up the room or was perfect, especially when they're victims. Um, They could be dirtbags and have their own baggage in their background, and they're still victims and still deserving of respect and justice. So that's a really good point there. Um, Okay, if there's nothing else over there, Scott, I think you're right. I think... Yes, one, we have a very smart audience, but I think we did our job today in keeping this like a very um, informative conversation, not going down some of the junk rabbit holes that we could have <laughs> with with talking about this, this trial and um, sitting in the gray isn't always easy. And yes, I, I, if anything... Just a reminder about all the different types of bias that are out there that we bring to the table when we're watching things, making assumptions, listening to content or watching content. Um, So I'm so glad that, John, you're doing what you're doing because you help paint a better picture for folks to kind of come back to the middle and be mindful of all these things when it's so easy to just throw out our opinions based on one little snippet that we see.
1: Yeah, they're really lucky to have you as a talking head. Like you're the real deal and it makes it makes me feel better knowing that there are professionals like yourself out there with a real compass and a real grounded view on this whole process. So thank you for doing that. Well thanks. It's a very nice thing to hear.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it. Yeah. We we figure, you know, it probably won't be the last time. Is he our first returning guest, Scott?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my we just do such a oh, yes. swag for being the first returning. <laughs> I that's
0: mean, great. For awesome. like a few years of doing this, I think you are yeah. first returning guest. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, it is awesome. Yeah. Um, well, we will. There's endless things to talk about. So I'm sure we'll figure out something else maybe for 2023. For sure. Um, and we're gonna be in Dallas. That's so far from San Antonio. I wish you could scoot over and see us next weekend. <laughs>
2: uh, I wish I could, but unfortunately I am in class. So
0: oh I... <laughs> the whole master's <laughs> yeah, degree I have, thing. <laughs> I, I
2: still have I still have that to do. So unfortunately, next time we'll, we'll next find time. we'll find the time for some true crime. Cause I, I may have something on the back burner in
0: the works
2: i I may i may have something we'll see okay yay
0: Yay. excited all right everyone thanks for joining us as always we appreciate it it looks like we went unscathed here today with our live stream and um we will have dr joni back we promise she has already we're, we're already figuring out dates with her um but thank you everyone and we'll see you next time on behind the couch all right i have ended the live so we're not live anymore yay it worked yes, thank you <laughs> yes. so much
2: yes thanks thanks for having me i didn't know i was the first returning guest That's-
0: Sincerely, thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network in partnership with Glassbox Media. Each episode is hosted, produced, and written by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our post-production editing and sweetening magic is handled by the multi-talented Jason Usry of Ear Cult Productions.
1: The LA Not So Confidential theme entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir is composed and performed by the talented Kevin McLeod. He graciously allows us to use his music via a Creative Commons attribution license. And you can check out all of Kevin's amazing work on YouTube.
0: All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at la not so confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Media inquiries and bookings are scheduled at alienistentertainment at gmail.com.
1: Please join us each month on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streaming and very interactive broadcast on YouTube entitled Behind the Couch. Stay tuned to all of our social media for our live streaming scheduling announcements.
0: Subscribe to LA Not So Confidential so you never miss a new episode. And lastly, we'd be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash L.A. Not So Podcast. With a subscription, you get an ad-free listening experience and you'll be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way.
1: Thanks for listening and join in with us next time on L.A. Not So Confidential. Bye, folks.